This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. With um, a Rashi that I've been to, we haven't, I haven't been here in four weeks, so I want you guys to know this Rashi. A Rashi that I found in Eretz Yisrael when I was there, and since then I've been talking about it very, 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 very much. I wish I would have had this Rashi two years ago after they go to convention. I'll, you'll see why in a minute. Um, so it says like this. In many Pesukim and Pashat Yisrael, before we got the Torah, so Hashem told, told Moshe Rabbeinu one, five or six times that he should tell Klai Yisrael that um, they shouldn't touch the mountain. When Hashem is on the mountain, he bowed this up, make a fence, a barrier for the people, tell them, they should watch themselves, they go up on the mountain, and they say, if they touch the, just... A drop of it, anyone who touches the mountain when Hashem's on the mountain is going to die. Over and over and over and over. They keep, Hashem keeps warning, keeps warning Moshe to warn Yisrael. In Pesach Chaval, it says the following, right before the, the Ten Commandments, right? Pesach Chaval, Perek Yutes. Hashem a Moshe. And Hashem said to Moshe, Raid, go down, Ha'id, testify, Ba'am, to the people. If they're going to go up to Hashem because Hashem's on the on the mountain, they're going to get all excited and they want they're going to want to go up the mountain, Liros, to see what's going on, right? Want to see Hashem? The Nafami Menorah. That's what's going to happen. Many are going to fall and die. This bothers Rashi. And Brother Kabbal of Rashi asked the following question. Rashi says, "I don't understand." The Nafal is Lashon Yachid. Nafal means one, but not foul, and he will fall. Mimenurav, and if he will fall from him many, Rav, Rav is a Lush and Rabin, plural. So it should say, Vinaflu Mimenurav. And many fell. So Rashi wonders why Vinaflu is singular, Rav is plural, Vinaflu should have been Vinaflu. So this is what Rashi says, amazing Rashi. I went all over Israel and I showed this to everybody. And Rashi says the following. But Nafal Mimenu Rav, Kol Mashiipal Mehem, Afiluhu Yechidi, if even one of them falls, just one, right? Chashiv Lefana, Hashem says, that person is, is important to me, Rav. Like many people, like many people fell. So that's why it's used the word "v'nafal." One is a rife. So, like when I when I spoke in the Gura convention, so I spoke about that. What's going on in the Jewish world? It's happening on our watch. Therefore, we're responsible. Like Yirmiyahu was responsible for what happened on his watch, and. A rabbi came over to me, very, very upset, and he said, you know, probably all you rabbis that work with kids at risk is you all focus on the 20% of kids that the system doesn't work for. But the system's working for 80%. None of you guys get up and talk about the 80% the system works for. So I said, you don't need me to get up for the 80% the system's work for. I don't, they're doing well. And let me talk about that. You need me to help the ones that are not doing well. Doctors, you know, are there for the kids who, people who are not doing well. Had I seen this, 
Rashi, I would have said, time out. It's not me. Hashem said, if one, right, not 20%, 1%, less than 1%, because one Jew is less than 1%. So it's a thousandth of 1% dies because he touched the mountain. Then it, to me, it's enough for me, men who rub. It's like, really, like a lot of people die. It's a very special Rashi, and most people don't. You know, it's a little teeny Rashi. It's a very special Rashi because it's not that Moshe saying if one Jew dies, that's a lot. Hashem is telling Moshe, Beno, I keep telling you, keep them off the mountain, keep them off the mountain, because if one Jew dies because I'm on that mountain, if just one Jew dies because I'm on that mountain and he touches that mountain, it's too many. Wow, what a Rashi! What a crazy Rashi! It's a crazy Rashi. I wish I would have seen it two years ago. I guess everything has its time, but wow. So yeah, twenty percent is much too many because there are at least a hundred thousand students out there, more kids in yeshiva, you know, in the world. Twenty percent is twenty thousand kids. <laughs> that's not one kid. That's twenty thousand kids that are that are challenged. You want to say that's not true? It's not a real number. Go ten percent. That's ten thousand kids. Ten thousand Jewish kids off the dough. That's much too many. You want to say, well, you're totally exaggerating. It's five percent. 95% is doing well, but 5% is not doing well. Hashem says, 5%? One not doing well. Too many. Make sure their fences. I'm going to keep telling you. I'm going to keep telling you. Make sure the kids don't go off the derech. Make sure the kid, that, that I don't lose one. Fantastic, Rashi. Okay, that was Rashi's story. Anyway, Pazmishpat, which was last week. So there's a fantastic Avas Chaim. So... Last week, Pastor Mishpatim. So, what is it says? Be'eluha Mishpatim Ashetosim Lefneim. Right? These are the Mishpatim. So, in Mitzvos, there are two. There's Mishpatim and there's Chukim. Right? What's the difference between Mishpatim and Chukim? Anyone here know what's the difference between Mishpatim and Chukim? Yes. Chukim, they don't have such logical explanation. Right. We have no understanding of the Chok and a Mishpat. We have an understanding. What's an example of a Mishpat? You're not allowed to kill. I understand that. I don't. I don't need. You know. That's something I understand. You're not, you're not allowed to be jealous. You're not allowed to commit adultery. You're not allowed to kidnap. I, I understand this stuff. What don't I understand? What's a chayk? What's the biggest chayk in the Torah? What? So it's, in, so, so, so it's interesting. Shotness, even though it's considered a chok, really the Talim and Hagim brings down a reason why you're not allowed to wear shotness. Yeah. Kain and Hevel, because wool comes from from Hevel's carbon and flax comes from Kain's Hevel. You're not supposed to mix Kain with Hevel. Even though in the Talmud Hagen he says, I, he says, I'm not giving it a reason, but maybe that's a thought. But there has to be milk and meat. Milk and meat, you shouldn't cook the mother and the baby together. I understand that. It makes a little logical sense. I mean, you're not cooking the mother. What? So what's the chok? What's the most famous chok? Paraduma. How do you know that? Because the parasha of Chukim, Chukas, talks about Paraduma, right? What does it say? Let's go to Chukas for a moment. Zos Chukas HaTorah. Like this from the Elam Mishpatim, that says, Zos Chukas HaTorah. I should tell you that. Paraduma. Yichol Paraduma. So what's the biggest chok? Paraduma. Now, there's a Rashi there. It's really hard to understand. I, I, taught it, I taught it in seminary this year. So you go to the first Rashi in Chukas, right? It says the following. Why is Paraduma considered 
There's a lot of chokim. We could have said a lot of chokim. Why you can't take a bone, bayre on Shabbos, a bone out of fish? Like what's it? You know why? Why can't? What you know? Kalayim. You know, shot in the stand, but Kalayim taking two different plants and bringing them to who, who does that bother? Right? So there's a lot of chukim. Why specific paraduma? So Rashi says why? Why paraduma? The fisha has satan. The satan and the goyim bother the Jews. Laymor saying, What's this mitzvah? What's the reason for the red heifer? Therefore, the Torah calls it a chok. Gezeira hi milafanecha milafanai. Hashem says it's a gezeira. Ain lecha rishus laharechrecha. Doesn't say that by any other mitzvah. I don't give you permission to think about it. Does Hashem say you can't think about milk and meat or shatnis or any other mitzvah? This mitzvah paraduma, Hashem says gezeira milafanai. I don't let you think about it. So the question is, first of all, it doesn't seem to be that Rashi is really true because I'm willing to bet I'm not a betting man anymore but I'm willing to bet that there's no one in this room that ever met a non-Jew and the non-Jew said to you you know that Jewish religion you have there's one thing that bothers me about it what's the deal with the red cow they might ask you why you wear a beanie why you have strings coming out of your pants why on Saturday you don't drive? Right? We have guys in business to ask me questions. They always ask me what's that and ask me. No one ever on an airplane or that I met or business said, you're Jewish, right? Yeah. What's up with that red heifer? <laughs> right? Am I right? Anyone, anyone bother you about that? Now, this is Satan. Oh, he bothers me about a lot of stuff. Right? I don't understand. Six million Jews. I don't understand the Holocaust, this, that, the other thing, you know, that good person doesn't have money. I, I, I don't he never came to me and said, oh, what's up with the Paraduma? I don't think, I think that we'd be very happy if that would be the only thing that Satan would bother us about. The Paraduma, I think we'd be in a good place. Fashi says that the reason the Torah picked the red cow, the paraduma is because the satan and the goyim are going to continuously bother and Hashem's like, don't think about it! What's up? What's going on here? The Rashi doesn't seem to be true because the satan doesn't bother anyone about paraduma and goyim definitely don't bother anyone about paraduma. And why would Hashem be so like, you're not allowed to think about it? So the answer is that what do the paraduma stand for? The kayen, who's pure and not tameh, sprinkles blood on the guy that is tameh. The kayen becomes tameh, and the tameh becomes pure, becomes tahar. So that, logically, if I'm able to make you pure, then I'm surely pure. Right? Mm-hmm. If I'm pure enough to make you pure, how can I be unpure? But what happens here is, I make you pure and I become unpure. Which, which in a different translation means, why do good things happen to bad people? He's becoming pure and I'm becoming unpure and I'm a good guy. I'm the kind who's making him pure. So really what's behind the mitzvah is why do good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people. And Rashi says that is something that the Yitzhara will always bother you about. 
And that's something the guy will always bother you. If you're Jews and you're the chosen, why did God kill six million of you? If you're the chosen, why did he destroy your temple? If you're the to- chosen, why are you guys going through all the situations that you're going through? And that's something we ask all the time. So Rashi says, Paraduma, what it stands for, the good becomes Tameh, the bad becomes Tahar. That's something that's always going to bother you. Says Hashem, Gizera Milofanai, Tzadik Viralo, righteous and having a bad life, Virusha and being evil, the Tovlo and having a good life, Gizera Milofanai, you can't think about that. Because there's no answer for that. Moshe Abbeinu and Dovana Melech asked Hashem that question. And Hashem said, I will not answer that question. When Hashem told Moshe Rabbeinu, you can see my back, but you can't see the front. The back means you can see what I did, but you can't see why I did it. And that's why in the Asare Haruge Malchus that we say on Tisha B'Av, and Yom Kippur, so when they got to Rishmoa Kain Gadol, to his Makam of Tefillin, and he let out such a scream that the whole earth shook, and the Malachim came to Hashem and said, that's how again that's how you're paying him back they asked him a question why are you punishing the good and Hashem said if you say one more word I'll destroy the world so everybody asked the question the angels asked God a question he didn't answer it the angels said why are you punishing the good and God didn't say why he just said I'm threatening you if you say another word I will turn the world into Tayyip Avayu. Hashem didn't answer the question. He just threatened them. So, Arif was the guy, and whatever answered the question, Chazal answers, no, Hashem was answering the question. The Malachim was saying, this is how you repay a tzaddik. Hashem said, if you push me on this, I'll give you the answer. But for you to see the answer, you have to see from the beginning of the world, when there was Tayyip Avayu before I created the world, until the end of the world, you have to see the whole story. If you see the whole story, you'll understand the answer. So you're going to push me for the answer, right? Then I'm going to make the world come to revival. Then I can explain it to you. But if you don't see the beginning of the race, you don't see what happened in the beginning, you walk in and you, you see someone getting Aliyah, and you're like, why is he getting an Aliyah, not him? You, you weren't there when they made the decision to give the Aliyah. Why are they giving this guy Aliyah? It's by mitzvah, it's his yard site, whatever it is. So, that's a chok. And we don't understand and we have to understand that we don't understand. A mishpat is something that we do understand. So, I'm going to talk a little bit about the chok, and I'm going to first go to this unbelievable, unbelievable Avas Chaim, which I just love. Because, you know, I'm very into that. The Pasuk, you have to learn it literally, but there's always something totally different going on than what it looks like. So it says the following. What's, the, what's, what's, what's going on over here? He's sick to Evid Ivri. If you buy a servant that he stole money, a guy, well, how do you get an Evid Ivri? A guy stole money, and then he went and gambled, and he lost it, and now you caught him. And now he has to pay, but he doesn't have money. He spent it already. So how's he going to get that money? So you have a right, Bezdin has a right to sell him as a servant so that he works, makes that money, and pays it back. We could force him to do that. So how long does he work? Oh, the most you can make him work is six years. So if he stole $10 million, you're in trouble because he's not going to make that in six years. The most you can make him work is six years. Now, six years, he works. And on the seventh year, he goes out free. If he was, he wasn't married, he's a single guy who did this. He leaves, he comes in alone, and after six years, he goes out alone. 
But in Bal Ishahu, let's say he was married and he stole it. <coughs> right? He married and he stole it. Now he's sold for an Eved. So you, the, the master has to um, support this guy's wife and his kids. So when you buy him, you have to have that in mind. So, if he comes in alone, he goes out alone. But in Bal Ishahu, if he's married, after six years, she go, you can, you don't have to, you don't have to support his wife anymore. She goes out with him. Have a good day. But, let's say he was single. And the master has a beautiful shifcha. And the master wants to have some product, some kids. So, he says to the servant, hey, you want to marry, you want to marry beautiful shifcha? And the servant's like, yeah. He's a single guy when he came in, right? So, the master gives him a wife, and they have children, or daughters, boys or girls. When the servant goes out free, he has to leave his wife and his kids to the master. That's part of what the master gained while the Evan was there. So you send the Evan out alone, but the woman, the wife, the maidservant doesn't go out. The maidservant and the children stay with the master, and that's part of what he paid, what he paid for. Now, the Evan, he, he's like, uh, I like this girl. Uh, I don't want to leave my kids. Uh, I like this girl. So, if the servant says, I like my master, it's great, because you know the halacha by an Evan Ivri, right? If you have one pillow, he gets the pillow. If you have one steak, and everyone else has to eat pizza, the Evan gets the steak. You have to treat him, he's number one. Right? So this Evan's like, hey, this is like, this is paradise. Right? I got the pillow, I got the girl, I got kids, I got the steak, I got everything. I like my master. I'm not getting out of here. I have to use Adoni, I love my master as Ishtay, I love my wife as Banal, I love my children. I don't want to go out. I want to stay. So we Gisha Adonav El Kim, the master brings him to God. To the Besdin, they bring him to the door, to the mezuzah, and they use an instrument called, anyone know the instrument that makes the piercing? An awl, A-W-L, new English word for you. It's called an awl, an A-W-L. It makes a hole in the ear, for the, for the earring, right? And they make a hole in his ear, and then he becomes a servant forever, ever meaning Yaidon. So the maximum he could work, is 49 years. That's the max. So if he was sold the first year after Yeovil, 49 years, that's the max he can work. On Yeovil, he goes free. Okay? That, that's the literal translation. Now I'll tell you the Kabbalistic translation. The Abbas Chaim brings down a story about this. He says the following. So, in Begapa Yeovil, Begapa Yetzi, a person comes into this world alone, without any clothing, without anything, and he goes out without anything. Right? There's a whole story that you so go out without anything that they put tachrichim on you, which is like a white linen robe, and there's no pockets in it. Because what are you going to put in your pockets? What are you taking with you? So tachrichim don't have pockets. Now, there's a very famous story with a very, very, very rich man, very from, very religious, very rich man, and he left a will that when I die, I want to be buried in my socks. That's what he left. So he dies, and the kids open the will, 
in Israel. It's a true story in Eretz Israel. Very wealthy man. And it says, uh, my last will and testament is I will be buried in my socks. So they go to the Chavar Kadisha and they're like, you have a pair of socks here, you have to put it on our father's feet. Chavadisha Yushalayim says, no, 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 no. We don't bury nobody with socks. The person only gets buried with the Tachrichim. That's it. Finished. No socks. Kids are like, we have a will. Can't go against the will. I think they went to Rebbe Yashuv. They went to, they went to a Gadol and they said, Halacha is you don't bury in socks. But the will said you should bury in socks. Rebbe said, there's nothing to talk about. I don't care what he wrote. <laughs> he wants to be buried with Chazer. You can't, you can't just make up what you want. You're not even buried with anything but Tachrichim and the towels. That's it. No socks. Oh, they were going crazy, these kids. They, were, they, they had given a lot of money to, to, to Yushalayim's, um, you know, uh, what's it called? Chavar Kadisha. And, and he was a very important man. And they're like, we're not going to, they were threatening, we're never going to, they're, they're, they're like, no socks. And they buried him without socks. Of course, there's no choice. On the seventh day of Shiva, a man comes to the Shiva and he says, that I've been holding this envelope for years and your father told me that when he passes away that either me or my children should bring this to, on the last day of Shiva it's for you children to read father wrote a letter so they open the letter and this is what it says in the letter dear children so you buried me without socks didn't you I knew you would you see all the money in the world all the money in the world can't even get you a pair of socks when they put you in the ground. So realize that the value of money is only for giving charity. You can't even take a pair of socks. No matter how rich you are, you can't even take a pair of socks with you. The Torah stands. So he knew. So he did the whole thing because he knew he was going to leave them a lot of money that they should realize that you can't take anything with you this is in Pasha's Mishpatim in the Kabbalistic translation of what this is talking about this is what it means you come into this world alone and you go out alone if you learn Torah and you're a Baal Isha the Isha here is What's the zivug of a, of a Jewish person? Is his Torah and his mitzvahs? If you own, if you're a Baal Isha, your Torah and your mitzvahs will go out with you. You won't go out alone. But if Imadonov, the master, which is the Satan, eating like Isha, he's the one that's giving you the Isha. And he's giving you a beautiful car, a beautiful house, and front seats to the Rangers, and a new iPhone, and some other great things. I just was in somebody's house and downstairs. He had a whole movie theater, a whole wall with seats that move, and they recline. And he gives you. And he gives you banu banais. He gives you product. He gives you money and banks and trips and dachen and, right? You know, you need to know that in the end, you're not taking any of that with you. All the gashmis that you have, 
We'll go back to the Satan. Who? But the person Yitzay Begapo says the pasuk. He's going to go back out alone. The im on my If you're going to be the servant of the dark side, and you're going to say, I have to say I love my materialistic life. This is great. It's fantastic. I love all my gadgets, all my stuff. As Adoni, my master, I don't mind the Yitzhahara, as long as I'm doing well, as Ishti, as Bani, Bani, and all the products of what I'm doing, you need to know that if you love that, you'll never be free. You'll be addicted. One of the, I was just talking to a girl about this last week for a long time. True teshuva, how does a person know if they did true teshuva? If the Avera they did bothers them. What, what do I mean? This girl had a boyfriend. And she did things that the boyfriend she shouldn't have done. And it's now eight years later. And she's a good girl. And she did Shuva and Yom Kippur and everything she was supposed to do. But at the end of the day, she still could say to me, but I have to tell you, Rev. Wallstein, it was really a lot of fun. If you still can say it's really a lot of fun, your Shuva is not complete. Because if you realized what you did to yourself and what you did to the master of the world by doing an Avera, then it can't be a lot of fun. I'm struggling. I'm struggling myself with this. Because, you know, I always talk about the gambling is that I was that I had gambling and I had some really crazy times where just like made so much money from nothing and whatever and when I meet, and none of my friends go anymore, but when sometimes we get together and they're like, do you remember that crazy night? And I'm like, wow, that was amazing. And, I didn't, and my truth was not complete. I, I, would never, I haven't done it in 17 years, and I feel bad about all the time that was wasted and I could have learned, and who knows what kind of Rebbe I could be today. And I feel bad, you know, because anyone who gambles is, is the biggest liar in the world, because a gambler never says he loses. When he loses all his money, he says he breaks even. How'd you do? I broke even. When someone says I broke even, you know he lost his pants, right? And then you have to lie where you are and when you went and when you're coming home. You can't be, there's no thing as a gambler that doesn't lie. So yes, I feel bad for the lies and for the time and for all the stuff. But if I still can talk about it and smile and not, it doesn't hurt me, you didn't do a full shuva. So if you love the Adonab and the Ishti and the Banai and, 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 and this, you love to play or whatever it is, the drugs or whatever, whatever, I don't want to go into the other addictions, but you all know the other addictions and that's something that you enjoy and that you want, you're never going to get free. The only way to get free is the Ebed that says, I want to get out of here. Leave her, leave the kid. Leave, I, got, I, I was an Ebed. I don't want to live that life anymore. I don't want to have to be a servant. But a person who doesn't say that, says the Torah, Vigisha Adonav Elohim, Vigisha Adelas, and make a hole in his ear. Why should you make a hole in his ear? Because that ear heard that the only servant you are to the only, only master that you have is God. And if you're going to allow the Sultan to be your master, then you have to put a hole in that person's ear. If you're going to allow it to be happy that you're working for someone and you don't need Hashem, what have to down for? The guy gives me his best steak. He gives me his pillow. I live in his house. He feeds me. I have no, I have no 
worries. I have a, he gave me a wife. I got kids. I got everything. I don't need God. Right? So that person has to get a hole in his ear. Because that ear in Harsin I heard that you only serve HaKadosh Baruch You don't serve anybody else. Also that he stole, but he doesn't. I, I, this is not, this is my own Tvatara. So the Maestro, you don't get a hole in your ear for stealing because he heard, he also heard you're not allowed to steal. But the guy who leaves after six years, he doesn't get that hole. So you're not getting a hole for stealing because then he would get it after the six years. He stole. They both stole. The answer is that if you, if you, this is just my feeling, I never saw this anywhere, but that if you, if you say I want to stay longer, then those six years wasn't a punishment. In other words, if I'm a servant for six years, then I'm like, no, I want to, I like this, I want to stay forever, so those six years weren't a punishment. You're showing that those six years, oh, those six years weren't a punishment? Then you never got, you never did chuva that you stole, right? You never, you never paid that price, but you stole, you like, you got a great job. Like a hole in his ear. For also hearing that you're not allowed to steal. But I didn't see that anywhere. I'm just, just, it's my own, my own, my own, my own, my own thought process. So, so it's a whole different translation. Who's the master here? And, and you come in alone, you go out alone, but if you, if you gather all this stuff, this wife, so to say, and the kids, all this materialistic stuff, you should know that you're going to love the master and you're going to love the satan. And when you love the satan, you're going to be a servant forever and ever and ever and never get out. Okay. So now, the Avas Chaim, which is a beautiful sefer, this very Kabbalistic sefer, he says the following. He says the story. And he says like this. He says, a man was called to the king all of a sudden. And when you get called to the king, it's because you did something really bad and you're in big trouble. The king don't call nobody. Right? So this regular guy gets a, gets a, gets an IRS letter. You gotta come down to the IRS office. It's not a good letter. Right? So he doesn't want to go by himself. So what does he do? So he has friends. So he goes. I'll read it to you inside. So he had four good friends. Three of them children him, hung out with him all the time. The other guy, the fourth guy, eh. and he wants the Etzel the Prokin. Once in a while, they hung out on a Matzi Shabbos. They weren't buds. Okay. So this guy gets called to the king. He's getting all nervous. So he called up his best friend, number one on his phone, right? The number one guy on your phone. Called up his best friend. He says, uh oh, I need help. Would you go with me to the king? So he says, um, me, you know, I'm just like a human being and I can't get into the king. They won't let me in with you. I'm just a regular peasant. I'll go with you to the outside. I'll walk you because I see you're very nervous. You're shaking. I'll walk you to the outside gate, you know, the IRS office in downtown Brooklyn. But I ain't not walking into that building. Okay. So he calls a second friend. Hello, number two. He said, uh, I'm really scared. The king called on, called on me. He said, me? You want me to go talk to you, talk for you to the king? Uh, I stutter, I don't talk good, I don't think so. But he says, but I love you, man, so I'll tell you what I'll do for you. On the way to the king, I want you to be dressed up like, you know, when you come to the king, at least you'll be presentable, you're not presentable. So I'm going to buy you beautiful clothing, and you should have covered, you should be presentable to the king. Okay. Next, he sends to the third guy. He's also his buddy, number three on the phone. 
if you're on Facebook, what's three? Like you have nine hundred, right? So this is only this is only number three on his wall, whatever that is. Anyway, he says, "Me? You want me to go use the king? I ain't got no clothes. I can't even get to the outer gate. For sure, I can't get into the courtyard of the king." Um, nah, sorry, I'm not putting my life on the line. Okay, so the guy's like, my top three friends, yeah, you know what I mean? When you need them, they ain't around. They're all parachuting out the window. I'm alone. Okay, I go by myself. So he's on his way to the king, his buddies, one of them, you know, let go by the outside gate. Now he's trying to get to the inside, and all of a sudden, he meets number four, the guy that he chills with him for two months, he year. He doesn't really know him that well. Shalom, say. So the fourth, the fourth friend, right, the guy who doesn't really hang out with, says to this guy who's going to the king, Yididi my, my my friend, where are you going? I'm I'm going to see the king. Why are you going by yourself? I know your three friends. You got these three friends. They're your best friends. Where are they? You hang out with them day and night on the corner till four in the morning. Now you're going to the IRS and all of a sudden they don't want to go with you? Yeah, maybe they're going to ask me questions. I can't, I'm not going with you. No, I don't know if I did the wrong thing or right thing. I don't want to be seen in that building. I'm a So he said to this fourth guy, Each one of them had a different excuse why they shouldn't, why they don't want to help me. So the fourth friend said, well, I'm insulted. Why didn't you ask me to go? Right? Fair question. So this guy said, the guy was going to the king, I'm embarrassed. You were, we didn't hang out, you know, only once in a while. And I made a kavachomer. Surely the three guys that I chill with 24-7, they weren't willing to be to go with me. You? Why would you go with me? And the fourth one says, No. I feel lucky, even though you didn't invite me. Ain't any I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to go. I happen to know the king very well. And I'm going to go with you to the king. And I'll talk good for you. Don't worry. You have nothing to worry about. What's going on over here? So this is what Abbas Chaim says. He says a story about a person in this world. We build houses, beautiful houses. We work very hard to make money. Nights and days. Nights and nights and days. And once in a while, we have time on Shabbos. We're not sleeping. We learn an hour or two time. Also, one day, Machamova shows up, after 120 years. And Machamova said, uh, time to meet the king. The king wants to see you now. Uh-oh. He's very scared. The Neshama, well, that person is very scared. I, 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 I can't go in front of Hashem alone. Ah, uh, that's, that's very scary. I'll call my buddies. So the Machamova says, sure. Call your friends. This is what he says. So he runs to his family. 
Do me a favor. Family, Tavoy, Imi, Lufnea Melech. Come with me to the king. Help me. Family says, we're going to anach nubam arachatzach yitzayna. We'll walk you to the outside gate. What's the outside gate? The graveyard. We could come and walk for the, the body until we put him in the ground. But we come from the ground. We can't go with you. We're not, nobody jumps into the grave. So, uh, nice knowing you, nice chilling with you your whole life, uh, family and friends, but, uh, this is where we separate. I ain't going into that hole with you in that box. Alright? So Neshama says, okay, family not going with me. Uh, who else did I spend a lot of time with when I was in this world? Oh, money! I spent a lot of time making money, right? Boy, Mishkan and Likaspoy, she goes running to his money. He says, Mushiban and Ani, you know, come with me. Come with me to the next world. They're like, the money's like, no can do, money don't go to the next world, but we'll buy you some nice tachrichim so that when they bury you, you have a nice tachrichim so that when you go in front of Hashem, at least you'll have nice tachrichim, like the other friend over there. Okay, that ain't going to help him, right? Chas v'sham that the money shouldn't be stolen money because then tafrichim are not nice. Okay. He says, If if the money that the person is buried in those tafrichim, that clothing, right, was bought and it was stolen stolen money or from drug money or anything, that the money shouldn't be used. While he's in the kever, the bad malachim ripped the clothing off him. And he lays in his grave without anything. Whatever. Abbas Chaim doesn't play games. Okay, so, family ain't coming, and money ain't coming. What else do we spend a lot of time with? All the things he gathered, his car, his house, you know, the watch, that nice little watch, and his ties, and his suits, and, and his iPhone 6 with 64 megabytes, and, and all the other goodies that he has, and the iPads, and the i-everything, and the Wii's, and the, all that stuff, all the stuff, the summer home, the Hampton home, the winter home, the Israel home, the Mount, the, the Florida, the, you know, the beautiful Florida, the little house that he just bought, so he can go to Florida every weekend, right? So he's like, hey man, I spent a lot of time on you guys. Come on, I'm going to the next world. Let's go, iPhone, you come with me. No, we don't, there's no service up there. Not gonna work. No. So, he says, I need to rock the habit of noise. I work so hard for you and I love you. I'm very, I'm, I'm very busy with you. Hey, Mamrulo, you want us to go with you in front of God? Hey, Nanachnu, eight Yavesh. We're not alive. We're digits and metal and computers. We don't go to the next world. So this poor Neshama, his three best friends, who he chilled with his whole life, his family, his money, and his things, don't go with him to the next world. And then into the kever where the person is being buried, 
comes his Torah and mitzvahs to the neshama. And he's like, Torah mitzvahs is like, Hey, Sam, man! Where's your money? Where's your family? Where's that new car you bought? That new house you bought? Where are your friends? And then the Shama says, uh, well, each one of them had a different excuse. And the Torah misses that you did says, well, why didn't you call me? And he's like, well, surely if the stuff I worked my whole life on didn't come with me, why would the thing I did one hour a day or one hour a week or whenever I got a chance, why would I even think that you would come with me? Says the Torah, I would dick. Why, Nishamala, why didn't you call me? Amalah, Nishamah says, I didn't have time for you. I learned one hour or once in a while, two hours or maybe three hours on the Shabbos. Amalai, Afilo Hachi. The Torah says to him, even though you didn't give me any attention, don't worry. When you go, Tishmo Alecha, I will watch you. And that's why it says, If a person has one malach, one angel, one mitzvah, one tzedakah, one learning Torah, one davening tefillah b'tzibah, right? That can save him. And that's all you can take to the next world. You come in alone and you go out alone. In Ba'al but if you did mitzvahs and Torah, it's the only thing that's going to go with you. Nobody takes anything with them. It's really scary. You know, we don't think about ever dying, but it's really scary. Your mamas don't take anything with you. Nothing. You work so hard your whole life. You take no food, no fruit, no clothing, nothing. Zero. And then what you take with you are your mitzvahs and your mice and titans. Okay. So we have time for a story. So, we talked about chukim. We talked about the Rashi that says that the one question that's always asked, right, is the question of Tzadik um, bad things happen to good people, and good things happen to bad people. So there was a very, very, very story, and some of you, I'm a client, so I can't go to his kever, but it's a very, very famous kever that a lot of people go to, right, and he was called the Ger, he was called the Ger Tzadik of Vilna. They, they, they named him Avraham ben Avraham because he's a ger. They named him Avraham ben Avraham. He lived in the 18th century. He was Count Valentin Potatsky. Okay, he was born into. It's a whole long story. I'm not going to get into the whole long story, but he was born into Polish nobility. He was a, he was a noble, and fame, fortune, everything. And for whatever reason, he decided to convert to Judaism, which at that time was like the greatest sin that a human being could do. They burnt you at the stake. And Avram ben Avram lived in the city of Vilna. I believe he lived in the time, he lived in the Vilna guy. He's buried in that same, in that same graveyard. It's unbelievable, Avram ben Avram. And, um, he was learning. But his family was looking for him, but they never dreamt that he would, that he escaped and he became a Jew. That was like the worst thing you could become. So they, they kept looking for him, but they could, nobody could find him. And he was in Vilna sitting and learning doing Torah and mitzvahs, doing what he was supposed to do. But there was this one young Jewish boy who, because he was a convert, because he was a ger, so he used to, this little boy used to bother him. And finally, Abram and Abram couldn't handle it anymore. And he, and he, um, 
he 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 let him have it. And he didn't hit him, but he just he just spoke to him very harshly. And this little boy ran home and told his father that this scare, this scare, this scare. He spoke to me really harshly, and this man, um, the father, would not forgive Avram ben Avram, and he was so enraged that he went and told the people, the Goyim, that this Count Potakchi converted, and if you want to know where he is, that you're looking for him, he's, he's learning in Vilna. So they immediately arrested him and contacted the, the family. It's a very famous story. And they try, the family try to get Rabbi Avram ben Avram, the Ger Tzedek, to renounce his Judaism and go back to the church. But he wouldn't, and they turned him over to the church. Who gave him a church, who gave him a, a famous, it's very famous, who gave him a choice. Return to Christianity, or be burnt alive at the stake. And it's, it's brought down that the Vilna Goyen said, whether he'll use the Shem Hashem, exactly what, how he's gonna do it, the Vilna Goyen told Avram ben Avram, that I, I, I will, if you want, I will rescue you. Shem Hashem, whatever he was gonna do, I, I will rescue you from prison, nobody's gonna touch you. But Rav assisted that, no, I don't want to be saved. I'd rather die a, a martyr's death. Kiddush Hashem, as Kiddush Hashem. So when the Christian executioners witnessed this count's unwavering resolve to cling to Yiddishkeit, they had second thoughts about executing him because they realized he was a very holy man. So before they put him to death, it was a terrible day, burnt him at the stake. Um, they asked him, well, here in this world we are doing this to you in the world to come are you going to take revenge against us for what we're doing to you so this is what it said he turned to them now it's an unbelievable story talking about Tzadik Viraloi so he turned to them and he said the following he said I want to tell you guys a true story before you burn me I want to tell you a true story he says when I was a kid I was a little boy I was, a count, I was the count's son big man and I was on this on my my father's estate, and I used to play. There were some, uh, you know, farmers that worked on the estate. So I used to play with their children. One afternoon, I decided I took sand and water, and I made a whole army scene. You know, soldiers and horses, I made a whole big army scene. He said a battlefield. He says when I was done, so the peasants' children, on purpose, stepped on all my all my work that I did. And Mamish flattened it out. Everything that I did. He said, I was horrified. Ah, I worked so hard. These kids, look what they did to me. So he said, with tears in my eyes, I ran to my father and told him about the great tragedy. I, I made a whole battlefield and these kids came and they, and they destroyed it. So he wanted revenge. So I begged my father to punish my friends appropriately. Instead, my father started yelling at me and he said, you are far brighter than to demand retribution for something as trivial as Stepping on a bunch of little mud, little mud guys. What are you getting so, you know, what are you getting so upset about? He says, but I'll tell you the truth. He's telling this to the executioners. As a kid, I was thinking to myself, okay, right now I can't do anything, but when I get older, they're going to pay for what they did. That they, st- they stepped on my dirt battlefield. So he said, when he looked at them, he said, can I ask you something? Do you think when I grew up and I became a nobleman, that I even cared that they stepped on my stupid little muddy things that I made. He said, of course, at that point, um, I matured. I didn't care one bit about the young children who trampled on my sand figures 
It didn't mean anything to me anymore. So, even though as a kid I was like, going to take revenge, when I realized who I was, and I'm a nobleman, and I'm grown up, I don't care that you... You know, it's like a kid broke your your toy plane in first grade. At this point, at 57 years old, I'm like, oh, you? Oh, man, I'm going to go after you. You broke my plane. At this point, I'm like, you broke my plane. I was a little kid. Big deal. So he turned to him and he said, when I arrive in the next world, where everything will be clear and true, do you think I will be concerned about something as petty as you burning my flesh and bones, which come from dust and earth? He says, you're worried I'm going to take vengeance in the next world? When I get to the next world, what you're doing to me here will be meaningless, godless. He's very famous. He was Avram ben Avram. So he said, so it's with you. In this world, I would be very likely that I would thirst for revenge for what you're about to do to me if I stayed in this world. But once I arrive in the world of truth, where everything will be clear and comprehensible, you think that I will be concerned about something as petty as vengeance for burning my flesh and bones, which come from the dust of the earth? And finally... This is very, very famous. This, this is written, what he said. It was being written. And finally, in regard to the man who reported me, the Jew who told the authorities that who I was and where I was hiding, because of him he was burnt, he said, listen to this, Tzadavaralai, if I merit to obtain any world in the world to come, the Gerit Tzadik said this, if I merit to, to be, that they're going to reward me in the world to come, I will not rest until the informer this Jew who told on him, shares in my Gan Eden. Not I'm going to punish him, but I will not rest until he shares in my Gan Eden. For it was he, in retrospect, who made it possible for me to be taken from this world in a Kiddush Hashem and to be rewarded in heaven. So I will not rest until he gets rewarded for causing this to happen. And I'm like, I'm And they threw him into a fire then, right after that. And this was this was the Gerit Tzedek of Vilna, very very famous. So so that you know when you when you talk about um, when you talk about Tzadik Viralo, you know the Tzadik doesn't look at it Viralo. We look at it as Tzadik who had bad. The Tzadik looks at it just the opposite. This guy caused me to be burned at the stake for Kiddush Hashem. If I get anything I made then, I will not rest till he gets I made then. So we look at it Tzadik Viralo. He didn't look at it Tzadik do we have time for another one? Seven minutes. So this is a story from Rabbi Clement Wasserman. Okay, for a bear like that, he deserves <laughs> that's, that's our judgment of him. Right. But he's saying, Lemaisha, what I'm about to do... For, for him, he wants to have gotten right. this. Right. That's, that's how he gets it. So, well, we have seven minutes. I want to tell you this about Rabbi Clement Wasserman. So Rabbi Clement Wasserman was in America during the by the... Holocaust, and he went back to be with his Talmudim, and then he was murdered. Right? So he, he could he was here, he was safe, he was safe. He went back, and said, I'm going to leave my Talmudim in, in Europe, and he got killed with, with his Talmudim. So, it was 1941, and they killed him in what's called the Ninth Fort. They took all the Jews up there uh, on July 8th, and they, they, they killed them all. But I want to tell you, um, so, Revel Hanan was hiding in a house before the Germans caught him with his Talmudim. And the Maishas, his Talmudim, were like asking him the whole time, like, they knew about what's going on in the Holocaust. They were like, Rosh Hashim, like, how could this happen? We don't understand. How could this happen? So Rosh Hashim explained, how could this happen? All the Jews are being wiped out. Like, 
What happened? Hashem doesn't love us anymore. What's going on? So one thing we're going to come and sit down. He says, I'll explain to you what's happening with this story. He says, there was once a man who knew nothing about agriculture, about farming. And he approached the farm and he said, I'd like to learn about farming. Could you teach me about farming? The farmer said, yes. He took him to a field. And the field was growing grass. And he said, what do you see? And he said, I see a beautiful piece of land with beautiful, beautiful grass. It's really nice. And the, and the farmer said, okay, watch. And he plowed the field. And when he plowed the field, there was no more green. It was all brown dirt. So the, the guy who knew nothing about farming said, why did you ruin the field? The farmer said, relax. Okay? So then the, farm, the farmer took out a, a, I know this muscle from when I was a kid. I remember when I read he said this. I wrote it down. It was, I was in such awe. So then the farmer takes out a bag of seeds, good healthy seeds. And he says, tell me, what do you see? And he says, I see healthy grain, seeds of wheat, I see healthy grain. The man said, okay, watch this. And he, and he took the, um, walk them down the furrows, and he scattered the, the kernels of grain wherever he went, and then he covered them with dirt. So the other guy who knew nothing about it said, are you crazy? First you destroy the field, and now you ruin the grain. What'd you cover it with dirt for? Be patient. So, now he brought him out to the field again a few weeks later and they saw beautiful rows of green stalks that were sprouting from the from the ground because of the smile ah I apologize now I understand what you're doing you made the field more beautiful than ever the art of farming is truly marvelous look at all these beautiful green plants before you only had grass now you have green plants no said the farmer we are not done in two weeks we'll come back they came back and all the stalks were fully grown and now the farmer went out and he cut down he harvested all the stalks with a sickle and this guy's watching like I don't understand you finally grew all these beautiful green plants now you're cutting them down I don't understand what you're doing so now the field looked like totally destruction everything's laying on the floor he cut everything down so now the farmer ties the floor into bundles and he leaves them in the field and he takes the bundles to another area and he beats them and he crushes them until the kernels become loose from the straw and he separates the kernels from the and he piles into a mound and now as he keeps watching this he keeps saying what are you doing and he keeps saying just be patient okay finally the farmer comes with his wagon and he piles it high with these beautiful kernels of grain and he takes them to the mill so this guy's like, okay, we now have grain. What are you doing? He takes it to the mill. And they grind it into flour, which looks like dust. And he, again, he says, I don't understand. You had this beautiful grain, and now you crushed it, and you made it into dust. Like, everything Hashem gives you, you ruin. Gives you a field, you ruin it. Gives you stalks, you ruin it. Everything, you ruin. So the farmer goes ahead, and he puts the dust, the dust, this guy thinks it's dust, into the sacks, and he brings it home. And then he mixes it with water. And the guest is sitting there and saying, like, you are the dumbest person I ever met. Now what do you have? White mud. Right? And the farmer fashions the mud into a loaf. And now the visitor sees the perfectly formed loaf. And he smiles broadly. But his happiness doesn't last. The farmer kindles a fire in the oven. And he puts the loaf in the oven. And the guy says, oh my God, you finally have a loaf. Now you're burning it. You're crazy! Everything, everything Hashem gives you, you destroy. You bury it in the ground. You, you grind it. 
Now you finally have something that looks like something, and you throw him into the oven. He says, now I see that you are insane. All After all that work, you burn the product of your labor. The farmer looked at him and laughed. Have I not told you to be patient? Finally, the farmer opens the oven and removes the freshly baked bread, crisp and brown, with an aroma that made the visitor's mouth water. Come, the farmer said. He leads his guest to the kitchen table where he cuts the bread and offers a now pleased visitor a liberally buttered slice. Now, the farmer says, now you understand. And this is what he said to his Talmudim. He said, you're seeing the plowing, you're seeing all these different things, but you're not seeing the finished product. So this is what he told, this is what, right before he died, with all his Talmudim, he said, God is like the farmer in this story, and we are the fools who do not begin to understand his ways or the outcome of his plan. Only when the process is complete, and that is the coming of Mashiach, will the Jewish people understand why all this has happened. Until then, we must be patient and have faith that everything, even that which appears destructive and painful, is part of a process that will ultimately result in goodness and beauty. And, and, and the point, and the, why I'm reading you this story is, and the point is, that um, what we look at as tzaddik viralai, the tzaddik doesn't look at it that way. He looks at it tzaddik v'tayvlai. And what we look at Russia v'tayvlai, that he has girls and money and everything that he wants, the tzaddik looks at that as, no, it's Russia viralai. Because he's an avadai la'aylam. He'll never get out of his slavery. And everything that he's working for, he will leave in this world and take nothing with him. And that's the chayk, or the paraduma, that Hashem says, it's not for you to think about. Because you will not get to see from the beginning of the world to the end of the world. You're just going to see your little teeny piece. As you can see, look at your piece. You can see the farmer putting beautiful seeds into the ground. You're going to go crazy and say, what are you doing? And then you're going to see the farmer taking these seeds and grinding them into powder. And then you finally, we finally have something, Hashem. You know, finally we're here and we have Israel and, and, and we have Yeshivas and we have Daf Yomi and, 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 and then we have Kizarisk and we have, right, you, you, you're putting the loaf of bread into the fire. Look at all the struggles that the Jewish nation is happening and you're destroying the, the, the loaf of bread. We finally have a loaf of bread. Hashem's like, Relax. When Mashiach comes, that's when that's when it will be finished and it will be baked, and then you will understand. And that's what Rebbe Chana Wasserman understood, and that's what that's what the Ger Tzedek of Vilna understood. So for them, it wasn't relevant. And that's why Kriyat says that it's not for us. It's not for us to think about that chayk of Paraduma, where the Tzadik Varali and and the, and the Rashi Vatayvlay. Maybe we all have the chutz to see Tzadik Vatayvlay. Right, Baruch Mordechai, which is coming up, and Aurel Hamon, and that's what, that's what, that's what it's all about. To see Tzadik, Tzadik the Toivloi. But the good guys, in this, in that story, the good guys win and the bad guys lose. Maybe we'd like to see that. Bekarov, Mamish. Thank you very much. Just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.